All right. My guest this week on the Drag Scene Podcast is current and reigning NMCA Pro Mod champion, Eric Gustafson. What's going on, Eric? Hey, how's it going? Doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, getting ready to kick off my racing season here in just a couple of days. I'll be uh, wheels up heading to uh, Florida here for the U.S. Street National, so it'll be nice to hear some uh, engines fired in anger finally. Absolutely. We'll be down there as well. We're looking forward to it. And you know, thanks for having me on the show today. No problem, man. No problem. It's great to have you on. I, I saw where uh, Jason Lee is already trying to like book grud races for you and everything else see on Facebook. So you might end up having a, a pretty full dance card in a hurry. Well, you know, that's Jason. He likes to serve the pot and have some fun, you know, keeps, uh, keeps everybody on their toes for sure. But uh, yeah, he'll actually be driving the car this weekend. So uh, wow. I'm, uh, I'm a bit out of commission right now can't really see on the camera but i was uh, in a bad car wreck uh you know mid mid november and broke my humerus bone in my left arm so uh, i'm i'm a ways away from driving so you know it's going to be uh, jason behind the wheel so he's going to have to back those words up or whatever he says or types on facebook he's gonna have to back it up i've raced against jason lee with the guy i crew for for a long time and if there is anybody that can back smack talk up it is that dude because a lot of people a lot of the younger guys don't realize that back in the day he did a lot of wheeling and won a lot of races he's a he's pretty gnarly behind the wheel uh jason's an excellent driver you know besides just being a great tuner great friend you know both he and patrick do a phenomenal job behind the scenes and behind the screen on the computers, but Jason can definitely wheel a car. And you know, we, we saw that against David Reese at, uh, at Ducks race when he treat him, you know, that, that, that was an incredible win, you know, when we were pretty much down on power against him and it looked like we'd lose in that semifinal race. And that, that whole shot victory took us to the finals. You know, he did a fantastic job that weekend. That, that was almost criminal. What he did to Reese on the tree. That was uh, it was one of those things where you, you see people online trying to prognosticate who's going to win. I'm like, don't sleep on these guys that, you know, they got good equipment. They know what they're doing. And lo and behold, there you go. Yeah, I was uh, definitely, let's say I had, I had all the confidence world in Jason always do, but you know, it's drag race. You never know what's going to happen. And that was, that was certainly a testament to you never know what's going to happen. Uh, I think uh, it wasn't on camera. I've been looking for any uh, video out there. I'm sure now people are going to be scouring the internet for it. But I was jumping up and down so excited. I had, I had, I had a cocktail in one hand and a cigar in the other while I was in the starting line because I wasn't driving. And when I landed, I, I got right in the glue, lost my balance and fell on the starting line. And then I couldn't get up. I was stuck in the glue. <laughs> it was pretty comical. But we have yet to find any video of it. Uh, certainly, uh, I, Jay would love to find it so he can embarrass me with that at some point. Nice. That's uh, I, I've seen a lot of interesting celebrations on the starting line, but I would like to. Have, I, I'm going to see if I can find that on our live feed footage just to see that happen because I've seen people slip and fall in different ways, but I've never seen everything tied together. You know, drink, cigar, fall, stuck. That's like everything that could happen happens. And the best part is I didn't spill my drink and I didn't lose my cigar. That that's the sign of a true professional. True professional. I don't like I don't like to disappoint anybody. You know, kind of speaking of you know being the true professional is that you know a lot of people you won the NMC championship and there might be a lot of viewers and listeners that 
oh, who is this guy? I mean, you've been racing for quite a while, especially on the West Coast. You guys have been a pretty successful. Kind of walk us through what got you into racing and, you know, you know what you've done in the sport. Sure. Well, I mean, going back to racing, look at some of those pictures on your wall, brings back some memories for me growing up in Southern California. And Pomona was just about 20 minutes away from where I grew up in Arcadia. And my dad drag raced and his dad raced. Back then, it was the uh, El Mirage Dry Lakes when he was racing a 32 Ford uh, Roadster. And then my dad started drag racing uh, in the late 50s, early 60s. And so, you know, motorsports and gearheads kind of run in our family's DNA. And dad used to take me to Pomona and watch the Winter Nationals and the Winston uh, Select Finals and, uh, you know, Hawaiian Punch Funny Car and, of course, all the great racers for Samato, Warren Johnson and Pro Stock, you know, all these legends you know, Big Daddy, Don Gartlitz, and Don the Snake, Prudhomme, all these guys that I watched growing up, I'd always been fascinated with horsepower. And growing up in a family business where we have heavy equipment, machinery, and running around the plant as a kid, you know, all these things kind of tie together in, 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 in a weird way with equipment and power and how things work and just being fascinated by it. And once I got my license, when I turned 16, you know, I had this vision that I was going to start racing cars. I had couple older buddies of mine. The car culture in SoCal was still pretty big. You, you had imports starting to emerge. Of course, I'm, I'm still old school V8, you know, push rod, let's make power. My dad was an, a Hemi guy. He had a double A alcohol dragster in the early 60s that he raced. Uh, uh, you know, that was uh, Hemi powered, you know, 3092 cast iron Hemi, as you would call it. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I got into, I just fell in the drag race and had other buddies doing it. And, I sucked my dad back in by the time I turned 18. He had seen me beating up on my daily driver and blowing up engines and, you know, ringing pinions. And I mean, just beating on a car that was intended to get me from back and forth to school. And he finally capitulated and said, okay, let's go get a car together. So we bought uh, our first car when I was 18, my freshman year of college. It's the 1969 Camaro that I raced uh, on the West Coast and outlaw eight five. Um, you know, I, I, we started really getting more serious with drag racing after college. There was just kind of fun that we did here and there, did some bracket racing. Uh, and then after college, I started making some money and was able to afford to uh, looking at how we can get more serious in the sport. And, you know, Dan and I talked quite a bit about it. How could we use this as a marketing tool for our company as well and generating awareness for our, our corporate brands and what we do and, and creating a nice story and something that our employees could have fun with as well. It, it's funny that the, the whole mechanical side of things, you see a lot of racers that they, you know, they might not necessarily come from a car family, but mechanically minded people, you always look at something and be like, how can I improve this? How can I mess with it? And then it naturally divulges into, oh, well, let's put a, let's make more horsepower with this. And it just, it spirals out of control. It would, what I like to think, you know, how, our business or business in general, life, drag racing, there's, there's a lot of things that are analogous when you look at continuous improvement. You know, I don't wake up every morning and say, gee, I want to do a you know, crappier job today than I did yesterday. You know, it's, it's about getting better each and every day. You know, you don't, you don't go to the track and say, gee, I want to go slower. I don't want to set a record. I don't want to win a race. You go there wanting to beat everybody there. You respect them all, but you want to beat the you know what off of them and be the quickest and fastest and baddest person there. And, and I have the same approach with my business, with our racing team, 
with our family and, and, you know, building up my kids to do better than I've done and give them all the tools necessary and teach them about hard work and, you know, what you have to put in your heart and soul to be the best you can be. So it's, it's fun because when I'm talking in board meetings and business and working with our team, I can point to, to the racing side and use analogies from that. And we do the same thing with the race team. You know, unfortunately, we've got some pretty smart people who can understand it, you know, as, 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 as things are transitive and they relate to each other. You know, with, with the different kinds of drag racing out there, how did you get it? You know, you saw a lot of success in the small tire racing. How did you kind of get up into that business? You know, I think it was just the thing that everybody was doing and it, and it looked like fun and, you know, radial racing was, had been the rage and, you know, we went from outlaw eight, five to, you know, basically X two seventy five and two seventy five drag radial racing. And uh, we did really, really well with, uh, with that white Mustang that we had and uh, had some success on the West and, and, and then bringing that to the East coast of MCA and winning street outlaw. And, uh, you know, I think the desire is to go faster to get better, to challenge yourself. The only way you get better in competition is by going up against the best. Any sport I played growing up from baseball, to basketball, uh, you know, the way you measure yourself is against the best possible competition. And that's how you get better. And so that natural competitive type A personality desire to want to do better led us to what's next. So we looked at, you know, obviously radio versus the world style formats and and, uh, you know, what NMCA had with Radio Wars, we were building a car to go that direction. And you can kind of see the writing on the wall that having a multi-purpose car where you can run Pro Mod, which has been one of the fastest growing classes in, you know, heads up drag racing and competitive drag racing. So we put all the chips on the table and said, let's go build a Pro Mod instead. And we sold that other car. Fortunately, some of the parts that were in that car could transfer over and gave us a good foundation. And, and the pro model we've been racing now for what, three, three plus years, uh, you know, certainly every year we're looking to improve. I mean, we were out testing last week at Bradenton, of course, with Jay, as you noted earlier, he's out there talking smack and posting time slips. And, you know, that's just Jay's personality. You know, I prefer just to get it done. You know, I, I know, I know fans love somebody who can talk, you know, and like Stevie Jackson comes to mind and Jay too. I mean, those guys are great. You get them talking in a room or out in public. I do the same. I like to cut it up, but I'm more of a, you know, I'm going to show you, I'm not going to talk about it as much. I'm just going to go out and do it and execute. You know, that, I think that just stems from how my parents raised me. Oh, totally. I, I 100% am on board with that. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I saw a clip of uh, on TikTok of uh, it was Donald Cerrone and someone that he fought UFC fighter. And this kid was just cutting into Donald, just talking a lot of trash and, you know, Cerrone was just like, that's fine, but we're going to settle this, you know, in the octagon, you know, and he just kind of said the same thing, you know, I'm here to fight. I'm not here to talk. And then he present went out and just beat this dude down severely. And to your point, that's the person that, you know, the guys that talk a lot, sometimes you don't necessarily worry about. It's the guys just sit there silently nodding his head. That's the guy you need to worry about because they're going to go out and do whatever they got to do to win. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I Part of the game is talking, having fun, uh, but like you, to your point earlier, you got to back it up. And most of the time, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk if I can't back it up. When I do talk, I better back it up because if I don't, I'm the one that looks like a fool. Ultimately, unlike any, you know, you can't hit the ball if you don't swing at it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you've got to take those swings. You've got to have a little bit of a fun personality, engaging engaging others. 
but you got to execute. If we don't execute, what's the point? And kind of going off the execution point of things, you know, you had so much success. You had good success. Winning in small tire racing isn't easy. Winning champions, like a series long championship, isn't easy either. How did what you experienced in small tire racing get you ready to go into pro mod? I think just a competitive mindset more than anything, uh, you know, but I mean, racing's racing. I mean, everybody, whether you race bracket or whether you race at a high level, winning a championship's not easy in any class. And especially over the course of a long season where anything can happen in the grind. But I think, you know, having that competitive mindset, having that don't quit attitude and putting everything into it and, and really surrounding yourself with great people ultimately. And, and you know, whether it's racing, life, business, it all applies across the board. But you have to have that desire. You know, you start, it starts with you and you have to set the tone personally. And so for me, I, I want to win. I've always wanted to win. My dad said I was one of the most competitive persons that he'd been around. And, you know, being his son, you got to put the work in to get better, though. You just can't expect it to happen naturally either. So, you know, for us, we've got a great team. I mean, Jason, Patrick, Cameron, John, you know, Tim Lyons back behind the scenes. You know, I've said this before. There's, there's the people at the forefront that kind of get the accolades and you see us high-fiving. And, but there's a lot of folks behind the scenes. And, and then I don't even talk about as much, you know, there's other people that play a role. The sponsors. I mean, you, you do your best to plug them. Our employees back at home, you know, working every day doing their part that allows us to use this as a marketing tool and a way to present our company to those people that don't know who we are and have no clue what we do. And I think it's interesting going into the pro mod world because like you alluded to, the writing was, is, is on the wall that radio versus the world, it's like, it's the exotic, it, to me, it's like what old school nitro racing was it's crazy you don't know what's going to happen to a point you know a lot of stuff can happen but to me if you as a racer want to go out and get the most bang for your buck out of a three to five thousand horsepower vehicle run a pro mod because you can spit and hit a pro mod race pretty much anywhere in the country anymore where you could run a pro mod doing something absolutely and that and that's so appealing because it allows you to pick a weekend you can go run Northeast Promon. You can go run Midwest. You can run NMCA. You can run PDRA. I mean, there's so much, there's so much going on. Um, speaking of, my computer is doing something silly here. Hang on a second. I'm trying to. Oh, you're, you, we're still recording good on our end. I'll, I'll go off. Yeah, of that. There we go. There we go. I got, I think I got it fixed here. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, no worries. You, know, you can, you can definitely go so many places with the Promod, uh, which makes it so appealing and, and the competition across the board is, you know, everybody there, anyone can win. And that's what I think that's what makes sure, you know, granted there's teams that, you know, they pull into, they pull into the track. Okay. You know, you're going to have to be battling with those guys. You're probably going to see them in the final, uh, but you know, anything can happen. Kind of like that old football thing. Any given Sunday, that's why you play the game. That's why you, that's why you run the race. Oh, you see that at so many of these high level races where you have like stacked fields, like, you know, I use PDRA Pro Nitrous as an example, just because that, in my opinion, is the fastest collection of Nitrous Pro mods you're going to see anywhere. If you make the field at one of those races, it's tough. And there are no ducks anymore. You have to be at the top of your game. Otherwise, you're going to go home. 
that, you know, even as a someone that might be qualified number one, they got to pay attention because you never know when that number 16 guy is, they're going to be able to keep you honest and crack one off on you. Absolutely. Qual- qualifying in itself is, uh, is quite an accomplishment, but that's just, you know, part of the battle. I mean, obviously you want to be in the finals winning a race, but a lot of times guys don't qualify. That's what, that's what makes pro mod so competitive and so tough. Any, any car is capable of winning any point in time. And what makes it interesting too, is you've raced on radials and slicks and your car can race on radials and slicks for you. You know, I always like asking this question for people who have done both. What's it like, you know, for you, what's the big differences between running on radials and slicks from a driver's point of view? Well, I haven't driven the pro mod yet on radials. I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, and it's in getting that comparative feeling. Uh, when I race small tire radial stuff, you know, certainly the car pretty much feels like once it's stuck and gone, it's staying straight. It's not going to move around a lot. When you run a big tire car, those things will dance. I mean, there's a lot of shimming and a lot of stuff going on. Yep. And, and you feel it in the seat of your pants, but it's amazing when you see it on video and sometimes you're like, wow, I didn't think it was moving around that much, you know, and, and you're like, maybe I should have driven, <laughs> driven it out like that. You know, it's a couple of times you go, you, you have that hindsight, it's 2020 when you look at it on video, but it's the constant challenge of learning of what to do and, and, and how far you want to push. I mean, that's the competitive side. I mean, plenty of times I've probably overdriven the car. I try not to for a multitude of reasons. Oh, overdriving. To me, it seems like overdriving a slick tire pro mod car is a lot easier again, because you think, you know, you're used to it moving so much. You're like, Oh, I got this. I got this. And before you could realize I don't got this is when all of a sudden you're facing the wrong wall and having to figure out in a half a second, how am I going to get out of this? Yeah. The, the, the margin for error is definitely greater on the bigger tire. uh, But just as quickly, uh, that margin can disappear if, uh, if you're not paying attention. And of course, in three and a half to 3.7 seconds, roughly, that's not a lot of time. Everything's happening so quickly. Your brain and your body are clearly not able to react as quick as what's going on, but you do your best that you can too. Uh, yeah. I've been fortunate. I haven't had any major incidents in my entire racing career going back to you know, when I started when I was 16. Uh, you know, been fortunate, had a few close calls. Definitely had the car get out of shape and go, yep, should have been out of that sooner. But that competitive drive, sometimes your brain is telling you no and your body and your foot's still stuck to the floor and you're trying to figure out how you can drive through the, drive through it. Yeah, there's, it, it's definitely interesting when you are watching someone have one of those moments where the brain is not connected to the right foot and you're hoping that they realize what's about to happen. And then it's, it, it always ends in one of two ways. You go, oh, that could have been bad or, oh, that's, that's bad. Definitely. You, well, I, I, don't, I don't ever want to be the latter. <laughs> No, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the one like, well, that's bad. That, that, that wasn't a smart decision. You, you don't want to be the reason Brian Lone says we're going to be down for a while. That that's, that's not on the list. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I don't want to be the guy that, uh, you know, soils up the track and puts racing down. Cause that's the one thing as a fan, you know, you want to see, you know, constant action. You don't want to be sitting there 
you know, seeing things blow up all the time and, you know, seeing more of the tractor than you are of the, of the race cars. What's the wildest thing you've ever seen happen at the track? And I'll give my example first. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff, but at the NMRA finals this year, when that dude in that Coyote stock Mustang, like jumped the wall and rode the wall, like a skateboard grinding on a rail, that was a first. I can only imagine how awful that sounded to him inside the car and felt. But that was one of those ones where you know it's bad when they've called in the giant forklift skid steer to get a car off. Of, that, that, that's bad. I miss that one. I'm going to have to go back and look that up on, on the internet. Uh, what, what is the craziest thing I've seen? Well, I mean, I guess at the racetrack uh, or, or, or in the pits. Because <laughs> you know, <laughs> lots of stuff happens off the track that's pretty fun and crazy. We can but get into the pits at later. The track. Let's go the track first. Yeah, at, at the track, gosh, I mean, you know, I, I think it's some of the radial races where, you know, cars take flight. I mean, I, you, you'd never, ever imagine that was even something possible. Uh, you know, I mean, Stevie Jackson's crash comes to mind in, in, in the shadow. Uh, Dwayne Mills, of course, uh, you know. Uh, I was on yeah, the starting the line at the other professional crashed. ranks. And the other professional ranks, I mean, just watching some of these nitro cars when they let loose, you know, whole bodies are just disintegrating into the air. Uh, I mean, it's it's part of the volatility of what we do. Uh, definitely, those are some of the craziest things that come to mind. I mean, the, the, the thought that you're suspended in air, which probably seems like an eternity. You know, I, I remember watching Stevie's interview and talking to him about it, just how he felt like, you know, as he's doing the replay in his head. I mean, that's happening so fast, but it seems like it's an eternity. I can only imagine. I've been fortunate to not to go through that, and I don't ever plan on it. And, and, and when, when it happens, you know, you, you react, I guess, as you do. I mean, your body and your brain can react so quickly. But uh, the thought of being suspended in air and not knowing where you're going to land and, and, and where you're going to land and how you're going to land, whether you're still on the track or you get outside, then you may hit a light pole. I mean, there are so many of those variables – anything can go wrong in that situation that's not uh, favorable for the person in the car. Marcus Burt's one of those ones too, that like, that was the highest up. Like Dwayne's when I saw that on the starting line, that looked crazy, but Marcus Burt's crash at South Georgia. I remember that because I was in the staging lanes. I had just finished up recording an interview and you know, you hear when the crowd goes crazy, you know, something big's happening. I turn around and at South Georgia, when you're back aways in the lanes and there's all those people there, you really can't see what's going on in the track. Well, all I see is the top of heads. And then I see a Corvette above everybody's heads. I'm like, whoa, that's that's bad. That's that's a bad one. I grabbed the camera guy to get down there. Like, you know, hopefully, you know, this isn't going to be bad. But if it, you know, it's not, we'll get an interview with him. And the car was somewhat intact. I'm like, he got lucky. He got real lucky. Definitely. Well, any, any time you get into any accident and can walk away, uh, you know, you're, you're very fortunate because we're obviously putting, you know, not so much our lives on the line, but we're obviously putting ourselves in danger. And, and, and I'm not trying to be dramatic about it, but anything can happen. Uh, and, and the more times you get on the racetrack, the higher the probability percentage of increases that something's going to happen at some point. It's just inevitable. And we, we, we had at uh, PDRA at the um, finals this past year, I was making a pass and 
burst panel let loose, something happened inside the, uh, the engine, I'm pulling off, not happy because it wasn't a clean hit. And all of a sudden it, you know, looks like somebody brought over, you know, bananas foster or flambe and I've got flames coming out of the top of the burst panel, you know, through the hood and the car's on fire. <laughs> and, and I'm first thing I'm looking at is, is, is it getting inside the, you know, inside the uh, car and I'm, I'm just getting ready to pull the fire halon system and that's going to cause a mess. And I'm yelling at the guy, Hey, I'm on fire. And then I'm like, Hey, just put it out, cover it, do something before I have to pull this darn fire system. Fortunately, the guy was, you know, responded time. And I'm on the radio simultaneously saying, guys, I'm on fire. Get somebody down here. Cause I don't think people realize what was going on at the time. So I'm on the radio talking with Cameron and Jason. And then of course they're talking and you, all you hear is because <laughs> everyone's talking over each other. Everyone's freaking out a little bit and try to keep yourself calm and cool in that situation. And, you know, fortunately, you know, it was more just paint and body damage and nothing major happened, but that's, that's about the most excitement I've had, you know, going down the track in a, in a bad way, other than the car getting out of shape. I tell people I like my drag races. Like I like my airplane flights as uneventful as possible. I want it to be fun, but I don't want anything to make me have to worry about anything other than keeping the car going down the track. It's funny. My, I have a, I have a, thing I do, I always call my mom and my wife after I land, you know, cause I fly, fly quite a bit for work when I travel. And you know, it's just common courtesy to tell a loved one you arrive safely. And it's just part of, part of what I do. And my mom, like, how was the flight? I said, it was fine. I made it. I'm safe. Or when someone's like, have a safe flight. Well, I'm not flying the plane. It's not my responsibility. Yeah. I'm just along for the ride. I'm hoping the bus driver does his gig and we, you know, everything works out. Absolutely. So you guys planning on a lot more radio racing this year with the car? Or are you just going to, you know, do a lot more of the pro mod gig? So I, I think depending on how schedules and, you know, different organizations we're looking at racing this year and how we start the season. I mean, we're, we're, when we go to U.S. Street Nationals this week, we'll be on radials. Uh, you know, we've been testing on radials and it's, it's fun and appealing you can obviously go quicker and faster. Uh, and so that's always appealing, you, you know, as part of that, I want to go quicker and faster mentality. And, and so we will be on radials, I think a decent amount this year. And we'll, you know, obviously start turning our focus as we get into late February, early March towards the big tire stuff, and just keep an eye on the calendars to what radial races we could make and, and how it fits. May at this point, my uh, ability to race the season is pretty well shot. Uh, from a competitive perspective, whether it's PDRA and MCA. So Jason will be taking over the duties this year. And, and that was kind of partly the plan. It's funny how life works. You're driving home from dinner. And next thing you know, you, you, you're in a car accident. You, you didn't even see it coming. And you wake up in the hospital with a broken arm. So maybe that was uh, a fun way of being reminded that my words were after the season, I'll be taking a little bit of a step back, but I still want to race. And focus on some of these one-off radial races or pro mod races like a shakedown or, or Donald stuff and let Jason kind of take over behind the wheel for the, uh, for the competitive series stuff. Uh, so, and plus, you know what, he's earned it quite frankly, the, the amount of work he and Patrick put in, they treat this like it's their car. Just, you know, you wouldn't know whether I'm driving, he's driving. I mean, they treat it like it's their baby as well. 
And, you know, we're very grateful and appreciative of that. You know, kind of go, going off of that, you know, we, we, t- we alluded to it earlier that, you know, grinding out a championship at any level for six plus races isn't easy, especially in heads up drag racing because of what's required to do it. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to make a heads up car perform consistently to win like that. You know, what did it take for your team to win the NMCA title? And what was that experience like for you to battle in pro mod like that to win the title? It's an incredible experience because you're, you're racing at, you know, whether it's NMCA, PDRA, you know, any pro mod event you're racing at, you know, generally the, the upper echelon of, of racing and going against some of the toughest competitors. So that's an adrenaline rush in itself, knowing that you're pitting yourself against some of the toughest people out there in the sport that you race against, uh, you know, from a team perspective and putting together a championship winning program, you know, it starts with the people you surround yourself with. Uh, and, and certainly you have to have a lot of luck. You got to be really patient. That's not something that I have much of. Uh, patience had never been a virtue that I've possessed a lot of, uh, you know, because that, that competitive type A personality, I, I want it. I know I'm capable of doing it and I'm going to do everything I can in my power to make it happen and surround myself with people who can be part of that team to help it because you can't do it by yourself. So, you know, especially last year, when you think about 2020 and what a challenge it was, in a lot of ways, I am so grateful and surprised that any organization could run a series, quite frankly, with everything going on. You know, hats off to all of the people at NMCA, PDRA, Midwest Pro Mod, even though we didn't race there, or Northeast Pro Mod, or HRA. The challenges itself, whether it was money, whether it was people concerned, whether it was states being shut down in different ways, winning a championship in 2020 was pretty special. Winning a championship in general is not easy for anybody. Like I said earlier, any class, it doesn't matter if you're a bracket guy or running in, you know, top fuel or, you know, funny car or pro mod. That grind is tough. There's stuff that people don't realize that go on behind the scenes, the planning, the preparation and, and, and the coordination of logistics and, you know, getting motors rebuilt after every race and, you know, no different than what any racer goes through. Uh, for those that don't maybe see it, all the stuff behind the scenes is just as critical as what goes on once you pull into the track. And it's kind of, if you're not prepared, if you don't show up prepared and ready, all the stuff you do leading up to that, you won't be successful. You have to do everything behind the scenes and show up ready to go. And, and that's just as much work, if not more, than actually being there physically racing a car once you're there. And I think what also makes organizations like the NMCA's championship interesting and PDRA too probably is that it's national, but it's a, almost like a regional kind of series too, because you get guys that show, you don't know who's going to show up to an event. Like you'll have your people, you know, are going to be there, but you never know when someone like Ricky Smith's going to need to do some testing and he rolls up and that yep. makes it a challenge to race against people like that, because even though their car is not a hundred percent set up for eighth mile trim, it's still going to be fast and you're going to have to contend with them. Most definitely. And, you know, at the end of the day, we talk about this, Jay and I talk about it quite a bit. You're only racing yourself ultimately at the end of the day. You can't really concern yourself with who's there or who you're racing against. You know, respecting them is a different, is a whole different thing. Once, once you're in your car, it's just you and the tree. It doesn't matter what the other guy's doing, or other girl's doing, or who you're racing against. 
you can't let any of that get in your head. If anything, you got to block it all out. And if you don't, you know, you may not have the stomach for all this. You've got to focus and concentrate on what you're doing. Know that you've put the best possible car out there and product that you have. And then you go let it all hang out and see what happens. I mean, how many times on paper we should have won a race, we didn't win a race, whether I read lit, you know, I'm guilty of that. Uh, car spun, uh, you know, something happened mechanically. I was too slow on the tree. I mean, so many variables, right? Uh, and, and, you know, it's funny how drag racing, you have to have a short-term memory about it. It's kind of like golf, which people might laugh, especially some of the folks listening to this later, like, what are you talking about golf for? How's that, how's that relate to drag racing? Well, it really doesn't, obviously, but, you know, you got to forget about your shot. No matter how good or bad it was, there's always the next shot. And just like no matter how bad you did or how great you did racing, there's always the next race. There's always the next round. Even if when you lose, then there's the next race. You show up the next time, you learn from that, and you get better, and, and you go out and try to win the next time. And, you know, to keep that going a lot of times and to, to win at a high level, you know, you got to have help and you've got to have sponsors, which leads me into, you know, I've got to thank our sponsors on the show because we've taken things up a level. You know, this episode is brought to you by, with the help of Performance Distributors, the company that allows you to feel the difference, not just ignite a spark. What does that mean exactly? Well, their ignition systems are designed and manufactured under the most stringent of guidelines. In fact, the owner, Steve Davis, told us their systems are designed as if they were running them in their own vehicles. Well, because they do run them in their own vehicles at the company. One of their products you might already know of for them is their line of DUI distributors, the first and one of the calibrated timing curve systems with instant throttle sprouts that eliminate the engine damaging detonation. For those of you with late model vehicles, their sultans of spark ignition coils are based on the DUI technology so they can accommodate a wide range of plug wraps and firing more voltage. So check out performancedistributors.com for all of your ignition needs. That's performancedistributors.com for what they do for a living they put in their own vehicles. And to me, having sponsors on the show is important because it helps drive our show for it. It helps drive racing for it. It shows why as an industry, I think, I mean, you know this too, that partnerships are important in drag racing, period, end of discussion. Absolutely. Well, partnerships in business and drag racing and in, in life, uh, you know, and having the right people to surround yourself with, most definitely. And we, we've got some great sponsors and people that work with us and our team. Without them, we wouldn't be as successful as we are. I mean, it's, it's, it's simple. If, if I could run my business by myself, you know, and, and, and this is going to sound greedy or selfish, then I can keep all the money for myself. But it's not feasible. It's not possible. You know, it's, you're not going to generate success. And of course, to get better, you surround yourself with people that are smarter and better than you and, and build a great team. And I think, too, in the, in the performance industry, too, is you see all kinds of companies. And it's funny, performance distributors, I just set up a deal with them where I'm going to be running some of their products on a car that I'm building. And it's because they work. And that's number one. Number two, the owner, Steve, I talked to him about this stuff. And it's cool when you work with these companies that they are based from enthusiasts that want to, they want to do this. They get excited about what you're doing and they want to help. And, you know, even at the level of a pro mod deal, it's important to have people like that because they're excited and want to help push your program forward. Absolutely. Well, unless you can do everything yourself in-house, 
you've got to surround yourself and partner with, you know, whether it's somebody on the engine building side, like a Jimmy Rector who works with us and, and the folks at Newton Race Engineering and, and Daryl and, and, and Renee and the team over there uh, to Procharger and, and what they're doing to obviously take centrifugal superchargers and continue to push the boundaries and, and make a better product and make a, a quicker and faster product. You know, whether it's Craig at Liberty Transmissions, uh, you know, obviously what we do with Haltech and Jason and Patrick uh, and, and trying to be on the cutting edge on fuel, fuel engine management stuff. It's, it is a nonstop process of continual improvement. I can't, I can't say that enough. You know, it, 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 I'll be a broken record until the day I die. If you're not trying to get better at everything you do in life, then don't complain about the results when they don't go the way you want. You know, it, it's, it's funny you mentioned surrounding yourself with good people. And that's something I wanted to touch on too, is, you know, you surrounded yourself with, you know, the guys from PTP Racing, Pro Charger, and all these other companies. You know, maybe some of our racers out there would like to hear your take on, you know, what's it like to surround yourself or why is it so important to surround yourself with those people? What do they do to really help push your program along? Well, I mean, like anything, right? You can't do it yourself. You can do you can do as much as you can, but I'm not an expert in everything. You know, I mean, I know what I know and I'm, I'm always looking to learn and get better. I have that desire and that hunger to do that. But you seek out those who have that knowledge and experience too. And putting yourself in that position to tap into that knowledge base you know, there's that strength in numbers mentality when you have the right people on the team and that collective knowledge base and experience and wisdom that's acquired through years of doing something. And so you get a Jason Lee. I mean, to your point, he's won championships. People may not know it because he hasn't been behind the wheel because he, he was building part-time racing. I joke with him, is he going to change it to FTP, you know, from part-time performance to full-time performance? Because that's what he does. And that's what, and that's what Patrick does. I mean, Patrick was in the mortgage business, right? He was selling mortgages and had a mortgage company. Jason was working for BP, you know, overseeing convenience store operations in the, in the Michigan and Ohio market. People don't know where some folks come from and how they acquire their overall knowledge and how they parlay that into something else. You know, I run, I run a meat packing, meat processing company. And, and that's where the whole mechanical side of this is, comes from and my interest in loving that. And how we've parlayed that into using drag racing as a medium, an opportunity to, to promote and market the company. And then you go out and you pick up the right, smart, knowledgeable people to help you put together a winning program. And what's interesting is, I don't know if enough people pay attention to this, but you'll see, you know, if you're using a company like AFR's Heads and they're wanting to know more, get your experience out. You'll see their reps in pits talking with racers, you know, what's this doing? How's this working? And then they want to be able to partner, like you succeeding is important to them because you're able to do things that they can't do. And I think a lot of racers don't understand that they need to really, you know, they might not get something from free from a company, but working with that company can maybe provide you with some knowledge that they will be happy to share with you to help you along the way. Definitely. Well, any, any, any point of a successful program is that R&D process and, and partnering with those that can, if they're not going to give you the part for free, at least give you some of their knowledge and, and working together is how you can make it better. And of course, pushing back on them to make it better because you know, we've got to have those partners who are 
on board with the idea of going quicker, going faster and continually improving and making the best possible products so our car can perform at the highest level every single time down the track. We, we've made that commitment. I've made that commitment as a team, you know, as, as a team owner and, you know, CEO of our company, I have to set the tone. And, and then you hope others catch that fire with you and they buy into the concept of working together and, and performing at the highest level. But if it doesn't start at the top, then it's not going to start at all, ultimately, in, in my opinion. I, I talked with different racers. They've changed combinations, gone to different vehicles. And it's always funny when you talk to guys that go and switch to a blower car, specifically a pro charger car. What's it like to drive one of those machines? I want to get your take on that. So I, maybe I can tell the stories I've heard from other people, but what's it like sitting inside one of those very angry sounding vehicles? I mean, it's an adrenaline rush like no other. And they're rowdy. They're fun. They're not easy. You know, we make, I guess we make it look easy at times. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes you look pretty silly out there. Uh, Good thing we can laugh at ourselves most of the time, but I mean, it's just total exhilaration, the noise. I mean, just, just that raw feeling of power and acceleration that goes on and how loud and rowdy it is. I mean, you can't really hear much going on inside, inside the, the, the cockpit there. I mean, I've never driven a turbo car, at least not, you know, racing wise, you know, car on the street is different. Um, I, I love driving a blower car. I mean, I've had every combination other than turbo in a race car. You know, I started out with naturally aspirated, then nitrous, and then went to centrifugal supercharger, you know, specifically pro charger. And they're, they are so much fun. And, and Jason and I, you know, feel the same way about it. It's what led to us to go pro mod racing with a pro charger. It was something that we had been thinking about when we were doing small tire radial stuff and how cool would it be to put together a pro charger Hemi, you know, style platform and put it in a pro mod and see what we can go out and do and if we can be competitive with it. The reason I ask is that Don Lamana went from, you know, twin turbo Fox body Mustang to his pro charge car. And I asked him, I'm like, you know, what's the difference between these two? He goes, it is so damn loud and it shakes everything. He said, after every run, we have to check the whole car over because we're starting to figure it out. What, what did it shake loose this time? And from someone that's on the outside of the car, I could attest that like a pro charger car through, depending on the exhaust, especially zoomies, I could be wearing my military grade earmuffs. Doesn't matter. It's still going to physically hurt me. Like I wince when they do burnouts. Good. That means we're doing our job right. Yeah. Like Phil Hines, I always joke with Phil, I'm like, Phil, do you really hate your valve train that much that you spin that car so hard that I'm waiting to see things shoot out from underneath it? He's like, oh, it's just how it is. I'm like, it's awful, Phil. It's it's awful. At his car is uh, is loud no matter what. Sometimes I think it's louder than some of the pro mods out there when he's it, doing it is. burnout. It is. It's pretty funny. Oh, it's having, ra- having raced against Phil, uh, you know, in, in, in street out, law a couple of years ago when we ran our, our white fox body mustang there were times where i was doing a burnout and i couldn't even hear my own damn car no you can't I, i've heard him in testing like line up like at ducks race with like a screw blown hemi pro mod and you can't hear the pro mod doing a burnout it's gnarly you know, pro, pro chargers are a lot of fun 
And uh, they're, they're a great repeatable combination once you start to iron them out. Uh, you know, you don't get turbo people problems, but there are definitely pro charger problems. And it's, it's, it's more of a joke. It's not that pro charger is the problem, but like any combination has its nuances, right? And, you know, things happen, stuff breaks, you know, you, you get frustrated. When you're pushing things at this level, you're going to have things go wrong whether it's you know, an engine, whether it's a transmission, whether it's the dump valve and the darn uh, you know, converter platform not working properly on the trans. I mean, so many moving parts. So it's, it's not just one thing. And when it, when it goes wrong, yeah, you get pissed and you want to figure it out, especially if you're in a competitive round. But again, that, that ability to not quit and get back at it fix the problem and go out again. And then all of a sudden you make your quickest pass. Uh, I remember back, God, this was probably, I think 2014, when we won the NMCA Street Outlaw West Championship in our white Fox body. It's the last race of the year. You know, any three of us can win. I think it was James Lawrence, uh, Ryan Jones and myself were all kind of battling it out for the number one spot. And there was a string of cars in front of us that crashed like back to back to back. And I'm sitting, you know, behind the water box in the car. Now you, you kind of feel like you're getting iced, right? It's you're sitting in the car. It's five minutes and it's 10 minutes. And you know, the, another car crashes. You're like, wow, I, you know, what the heck's going on here? I mean, I remember getting on the radio. I was telling Jason Cameron, I don't think we should make a hit. Let's wait until the next round. I mean, it doesn't seem right now. You're going to be fine. Stop overthinking it. I definitely like to overanalyze things. And so I was like, all right, fine. So go do a burnout, start making the pass. Wheel speed starts to get a little bit too much. You can see, on, you can see it on the data logger on the drive shaft. You know, the drive shaft speed was just getting too crazy. And the, and the groove at Fontana is pretty narrow. And the car just got slightly out of the groove. And man, that thing sucked me right into the wall. Started getting a little wonky. And I, I had just kissed the rear quarter panel and the bumper and the wing and banged against the wall. And then it shot me across the other lane. Thank God. I think I was racing uh, Ryan Jones toaster at the time in his 64 Nova and he was already out in front. Thank God. So I, you know, I go into the other lane, I was able to pump the brakes and magically make it from not going ahead into the other, into the other lane, into the retaining wall, and then did like a 180 and spun the car the other direction and stopped facing the starting line in the middle of the track. And man, I was pissed. <laughs> I was like, I knew it. I'm on the radio. I'm yelling. Yes, I told you guys we shouldn't have made a pit. Thankfully, the car was okay. I was fine other than being really upset. I get out of the car and they check me out. The guys took the car back to the pit and they're banging out the body panels and checking the car out. And uh, Buster from, uh, you know, who worked for an HRA on the West Coast, he came over and looked at the car and said it was fine and didn't have to pull the cert tag and, you know, allowed us to continue. And we were trying to be the first car on the West Coast to go sixes in the quarter mile. I think Russell Stone and, and those guys did it in MCA, uh, you know, uh, Street Outlaw on in the East Midwest side. So we had just been close. And we went like 700 or something like that. And we just missed that 699. And then we wrecked the car. And we're still racing for a championship. We get it fixed. I jump back in, last qualifier, 698. We got it. And so, I mean, that, that in itself was well worth it. Um, 
Yeah, it's awesome when you can bounce back from something like that. It's hard for people to like, for people that don't do it to understand what it's like when you can accomplish something like that after a lot of bad stuff's happened, because it, it can affect you a little bit and how you perform and what you got going on. Especially, I've been in that situation too, where you're sitting there getting ready to make a hit, and you just see, you see a lot of bad stuff happening in front of you, and that you know some guys will start to think about it, or you'd be like the guy that I used to crew for. And I look back and he's asleep in the car. He's not even like, he's like, whatever, just wake me up. We got to run. And it, it puts you in an interesting position on how you're going to react to that. Absolutely. Now I, uh, I've been known to take naps in the car too. <laughs> Sometimes you just kind of sit in the car and you got your helmet on and you're, you know, you're waiting and you're just kind of taking your deep breaths and decompressing and getting your, getting your mental game on and getting ready to, uh, fully focus on what's going on and fleshing everything out of your head. And I, I, I've definitely been one to know that I've got stuff going on all the time up here. I mean, it, it, the brain never stops working, whether I'm thinking about work or what's going on back at home with, with my wife and kids or you know, everything else going on. And, but at some point you got to block it all out and you got to just focus solely on making that pass down the racetrack. You know, if you let too much stuff creep, creep into your, into your mental headspace, you're, you're, you're going to be distracted ultimately. And the last thing you want to be is distracted driving a 3,500 plus horsepower race car down the track. Yeah. It, you know, that, that little uh, skirmish with the wall, is that the most gnarly thing you've had happen They keep racing that day? Or was there other things where you've torn stuff up and kept going where most sane people would have been like, let's pack it in and call it a day. I mean, I've had multiple part failures at a racetrack. I remember one year, when the F1Xs were having a hard time holding together. And it was at Streetcar Super Nationals. We're running the white, white radial Mustang and competing in Wild Street, which is their you know, 275 small tire class. And I had reached out to guys that I knew that had additional blowers. And literally, I think Shonick, Dan Shonick, he, he sent me one overnight from Minnesota. And then I flew a guy in because it was too late to put it on a plane to come. So he checked in a F1X as his, as his luggage, you know, and flew from Baltimore, Maryland to Las Vegas. And I paid for him to come out, you know, all for a, a minimal payday, but more about the competitive side. So that was pretty crazy, you know, to fly a guy from the East Coast just so you can get another blower so you can keep racing and having the parts you need to compete. We've done all sorts of stuff, drive in the middle of the night from streetcar and take a head down to Jason Pettis to get it welded and fixed because we had a we had an issue to flying parts in. I mean, you hear stories from other people doing the same thing. It's all about that competitive drive to ultimately win. And if you're at the racetrack and you have a chance, then give yourself that chance. Don't quit. And unless there's an obvious reason why you shouldn't do it, then what are you there for? It's it's like, you know, you don't go to the beach go skiing, go to the beach to hang out, get in the water and have a good time. So you do it. You don't go to the golf course, to play basketball, you go there to play golf. So do what you're intending to do when you're there and, and do everything you can within your power to make it happen. Racers, I think, are some of the people that are willing to go to unhealthy levels to get to make the next round. Like I've, I've been a part of a team where we've told a guy, well, I know you've been up for 10 hours already, but now you're going to have to drive through the night to go buy a part that we need three states away. 
here's a gas card. Here's some Red Bull. Godspeed, my friend. You can take a nap tomorrow. And you send yep. him out the door. Or, you know, you've heard the stories of guys like, it's not the first time you said that. I've heard of guys checking, like, car parts in on a flight. You know, I've heard of guys bringing, like, Brad Anderson cylinder heads on commercial flights. So imagine all the other people on the plane, you know, they're bringing their carry-ons and homeboy's got a, got a Brad head. He's like, yes, yeah, I'm just going to put this up here. <laughs> yep. I check in. Yeah. I, I, I've always had fun when you go through TSA and they're like scratching their head going, what is this thing? Don't worry about it. It's just a car part. Yeah. Oh, I've, it's South Georgia. The, uh, every time I fly out of that little Valdosta airport, I get the super secret fun TSA exploration, you know, deal with my camera gear. Cause I've got a camera gear bag and they always pull me off to the side. What's this? It's a left-handed smoke shifter. It's a camera. What does it look like? They go through the bag, pull everything out, look at it. Like it's some sort of magical device and you just, you just roll with it. It's like, all right, whatever. I'm not doing anything illegal this time. We'll be fine. Yeah. God, God bless them for doing their jobs. Yeah, it, it, it's funny too. Sometimes you go to a track that doesn't normally see like a, like a heads up car. And it's always fun to see a confused tech person looking at her car. Like they, they'll look at something and be like, you could just tell that they're struggling with what's going on here. Yeah, well, you know, a good learning experience for them then for the next time it happens. Yeah, it's I've I've been in that situation where we've had to explain to a tech person what something is and why it's okay, and I remember at one point we were tracking and said, "Man, this car's got a lot of bars in it. We don't see many around here like this." I'm like, "Oh, this it's gonna be fun making a pass here. I'm sure that their their prep is top notch." Yeah, yep. It's it's like the uh, the track in Southern Ohio. I'm sure you've seen the pictures. I raced that in college, where at Katy Dragway, where the shutdown area, it actually goes uphill. Have you ever seen those pictures of that track? I have not. We uh, the one that I think comes to mind, uh, obviously Holly Springs at the end, where guys are doing you know circular <laughs> shutdown yeah. to get off the track. Uh, but that Barona drag strip, where I've <laughs> raced there a couple times, and literally you're, it's Dukes of Hazard at the end. If you don't you, I mean, the, the gravel shutdown, you know, where, where, where you're supposed to, like, supposed to stop the car, I don't think it's more than 15, 20 feet long. I mean, it, maybe it's longer than that, but it doesn't look it. No. And, you know, if you don't successfully stop in that gravel pit, you are going off the end of a cliff. I, I always heard, I heard that we did when I was out in California for horsepower wars this year, we were filming out there and I always heard about how short the shutdown was. So I, I'd never been to that part of Southern California, like out in the country like that. Usually it's just at our, you know, our home office. So I first, I took a walk down the return road there, which is an interesting nature walk. And you can hear different wildlife, some with rattles on their tails. And so I'm like, I'm just going to stay on the pavement. So I get out there and I start walking and literally you walk to the edge of the net. There's some Hoosier tires and then it's Thelma and Louise. If you go off the end of that. Absolutely is. It's, uh, it, it's certainly a little, little, little scary knowing that uh, if something goes wrong, I, I think there was a story where a, a racer unfortunately had a heart attack and I believe, uh, you know, he actually died in his car going down the track and you know as he had the heart attack you know he's foot still on the 
gas pedal, apparently, and he went right off the end of that uh, Aperona. I think it's a true story. Oh, it's uh, just just sad. The guy passed away, obviously, uh, you know, it goes without saying. And, and hopefully if he had if he had passed away before he went off the cliff, because God <laughs> would hate to think that anybody would ever go through that experience. The, the terror, like I, it was funny. The week after we left there, there's an a someone had an A fuel altered their testing of all things that A fuel altered, and he went into the gravel and like stopped right before the net. But I'm like, that has like there, there's a lot of bad feelings you can have at a racetrack, but knowing you're running out of real estate, you're gonna go in the sand traps bad. But knowing that after you clear the sand trap, it's just you know, it's ET time. That's I, I couldn't do it. Yeah, that, that reminds me, we were testing at uh, North Star Dragway uh, on radials when we were, when we were um, running a, some of the bigger F3, 121, 130 blowers on our small block LS stuff in that white, in our white Fox body Mustang. And, you know, we're making a hit, cars rolling pretty good. I think we went 177, 176 to the eighth in that car at, you know, at 3,200 pounds. That's, that's moving back, you know, this is 2016 maybe. Uh, yeah, I think we went like a 10360 foot, went like a 417 or something like that. And I go to, you know, pull the chutes, right? And you don't feel anything. You don't feel the ass you know, and just like, you know, grabbing you. And on the radio, uh, chutes didn't deploy. Like, yep, you don't have chutes. And North Star's got a decent shutoff, but it's, it's still short and you know these cars don't have analog brakes and so you're you're on you're off you're on and you're off and you know you get to a point where you hear the and the wiggle and then you gotta get out and then you keep applying off and on and the ems guys were sitting in the ambulance and he came he came down after i got this thing off the track got lucky last turn off it's dark you can't see a thing I don't know how I didn't end up into the into the pit there, but I made this hard left. You know, I don't know how fast I was going turn off the track, and uh, he come he comes down to check on me before the guys show up, and he goes, "Man, you were coming in really hot there, buddy." He's like, I, "We didn't think you were going to make it." I was like, "Yeah, neither did I." <laughs> Talk about being lucky, <laughs> but yeah that that was pretty that was pretty radical. That was gnarly. That was uh, you know when you don't expect it type of thing. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, I didn't overreact. Yeah, that, that's the thing where, you know, I'm getting ready to drive. Both my cars are going to be significantly faster than what they were coming up. And I'm already trying to, like, prepare myself mentally and ask people, what do I do when this happens? You know, how do you react to these situations? Because you don't necessarily get put in them all the time as a driver, but you need to be ready. And it's the same thing, you know, something bad happens. I watched a video of a dude down at the uh, GTR Cup this past weekend that it had the intake blew off the car, sheared it completely off, blew the hood off. The car was on fire and he wasn't getting out. And that, you know, that's kind of scary. And they interviewed him after he said, Oh my Hans got hung up inside the car. Again, that needs to be something as a driver you got to prepare for because it can very well happen. And it also made me realize I am not going to wear a Hans that's bolted to my body. I want, I'm getting one of those ones that's just on my neck. So if I got to get out of that car in a hurry, that thing's not going to hold me up. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, that's crazy. I mean, thank God, thank God he was okay. Thank God he was able to get out. 
You know, and I mean, when you think about safety gear, obviously you can never, you can never skimp. No. You can't put a price tag on your life when you're, when you're out there competing at this level. The best line I've ever heard was a sales guy told to one of my friends when he was kind of like balking at the cost of an SFI 15 jacket. He said, when's the last time you heard of a $500 skin graph? And then he was like, good point. think I'll pay that for that jacket now, please. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, some people get sticker shock, but when you start to put it in context, uh, you know, you, re- you recognize that, yep, that's worthwhile. That's a worthwhile investment. Yeah. You, you, you hope something doesn't happen, but that way when it does happen, you're like, man, I'm glad I was ready for that. Absolutely. Well, Eric, our time here on the show is coming to an end. I like to give my guests their chance to uh, impersonate John Force and thank all their sponsors and tell people where they can be found at. So, uh, I'll turn the floor over to you and you can tell people where they can find your team on social media sponsors. Thank you. You got to thank and uh, do what you got to do, my friend. So it's a, uh, it's all you. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks buddy. Well, let's uh, start with all the, all the sponsors. I mean, you know, obviously our company coast packing, which is our headline sponsor, uh, you know, all of our employees there and, and, and everybody at the company, thank you for all your hard work that allow us to go out drag racing and use this to promote the company. We couldn't do it without you. And I'm so Grateful and appreciative for your hard work. Uh, you know, on, on the actual automotive racing side, you know, certainly Jason Lee, Patrick Barnhill, PTP, and Tim Lyons at Lyons Custom Motorsports, Daryl at, uh, at Noonan and the whole, whole team at Noonan, of course, Pro Charger, Jimmy Rector, Craig at Liberty Transmissions, Steve at Quick Drive, you know, all the, all, all, all the other sponsors. If I missed anybody, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, thank you for what you do for supporting our program so we can go out there and do you proud. Our team, you know, Cameron Hensley, who's our crew chief, John Ergo, uh, thanks, Trucker, for getting the car back and forth to the track safely and working hard when you're there. And uh, being kind of the team mascot along with Ben Liddell, uh, Ox, Michael O'Donnell, and Nick Dumbo-Strobing. And we've got a great group of guys, and we couldn't do it without their support. They all care about the program tremendously, and we all have a lot of fun doing this together. Uh, of course, my family and you know, my wife, my kids, and my mom and my dad for supporting this crazy habit we have and, and being patient. And as my wife would tell me, she goes, it's a good thing you've won enough races because if you sucked at this, I'd really be pissed at you for the time you spent <laughs> away from our family. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that uh, – I've got a great family that uh, that loves me and supports me and appreciates what what we're trying to do here and how much fun we have. And I'm looking forward as my kids get older to having them come to the track and participate, just like I used to go with my dad and and sharing those memories together. Uh, you know, and and thank you to you and 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 the staff at Dragzine and and uh, you know doing a great job covering the racing industry and what we do. And thank you for having the passion and thanks for having me on the show. This has been a lot of fun. I'm, Really appreciate it. No problem, man. It was great to have you on the show. And uh, I'll see you this weekend in Bradenton. Absolutely, buddy. Have a safe flight. We'll see you in a few days.